This is The Right Approach. I'm J.W. Judge, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Barbara Hinsky. This is a podcast for writers to learn more about the craft and business of writing as we explore a new topic every week. And this week is episode 50. So we're going to do a little reminiscing and looking back at topics that we have talked about or law, not lawyers. I'm a lawyer. You're a lawyer. Not everybody's lawyers. Authors that we have talked to over the last 50 episodes, which has spanned a little more than a year since we started in early September of last year. And just things that have stuck with us that we've taken away uh, that have affected either our business practices or our writing practices. And, and as I think about business, I think immediately of um, the interview with Michael Leron uh, about setting up an author estate, which uh, admittedly I still haven't done, but I know that you read and implemented the practices in that book uh, for yourself. Yeah, I had forgotten about that. But yeah, as I'm thinking, there are so many episodes that have really impacted probably all of them in some way. But Michael Ravon's um, author estate plan episode and all three of his books revolving around that, which I own and have. So I've implemented it. I've had an estate plan. My children are in their 30s. I've had them to my house and we've had a sit down after Sunday afternoon where I've gone through everything that I think they need to, to know. And my author estate plan that I handed them is over 40 pages um, my daughter was text or was posting on Instagram Sunday fun day with mom and all kinds of derogatory stuff. Whereas my son, who is like all into all the details, at least one of them will be able to handle it. But what uh, what a comforting thing to know. I, I don't know if anyone listening knows author Heather Birch, who died very suddenly this year um, after a short battle with brain cancer. And so her family um, was kind of scrambling to get all of her author estate in order so it could continue on. Um, so I know nobody likes to think of it, Jeremy, but let's get on it. I know. And it's not even not liking to think about it because, I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, I had a conversation with my parents about all of their wills and where everything is and all that. And I have mine set out and, you know, my wife knows where it is and all of the other things that she needs to know um, where they are in case anything, you know, unfortunate happened to me. So I don't mind thinking about it. <laughs> I just haven't done it yet. Um, Can I just one little takeaway that I want to mention before anybody reads this stuff is if an author or someone, whether an author or not, somebody in your life has a cell phone, they probably have set up a ton of two-factor authentications. Do not cancel that cell phone plan. Keep paying for the cell phone because if you lose that two-factor authentication before you can go in and change it on every single one and make sure that you've done it every single one, you are toast. You will, wow. whatever that account is, you really can't get it back. So everyone keep the phone charger, keep paying the phone plan. You will need it. Well, on a lighter topic on the writing side of things, one of the interviews and in one of our early interviews that we did was with actually it's two David Ellis and 
Kevin Tomlinson and David Ellis talked about, you know, keeping readers in mind, particularly in length of chapters. And he co-wrote books with James Patterson and James Patterson notoriously focuses on keeping chapters around 1200 words. Um, so in my first, I don't know, four novels, the chapter lengths are all, I mean, they'll range from anywhere from 1100 to 2,500 words. But after that conversation for my fifth novel, I really focused on keeping those chapter lengths around 1200 words. And I think almost all of them fall in between 1100 and 1500 words just to, to keep, I mean, certainly the content has to be worthwhile, but it also gives the reader that satisfaction of I finished this and I really want to move on to the next one, you know, and they know at, you know, when they're reading at night, Oh, this is only a few pages, but then you get to the end of the chapter and you need to start the next one. And so, you know, I think with, consumer behaviors and you see similar things with television shows of like this is just the way people are consuming content and it's the expectation they have and so feed into that and produce worthwhile things that keep them interested and format it in a way that keeps them interested you know i'm that episode really hit home with me too and i'm really mindful of my chapter lengths as well i've never been a long writer um, but I'm really watching it and I'm reading uh, an advanced copy of Watch Party right now, your fifth novel. And I'm noticing that. And I think it really is contributing positively to the pacing. So that's a good thing that we both got yeah. out of early shows. And then with Kevin Tumlinson, he talked about having interconnected characters, you know, who make appearances in other novels and tie things together. And that is something that, you know, I, in my first fantasy trilogy, I had a character who appeared throughout. And then when I wrote my fourth fantasy book, it is kind of set in the same world. I mean, it's a contemporary fantasy. It takes place in modern Birmingham um, for the most part, or I guess at least in part, um, but it's not tied in to that series but I had one of those characters come over and be, you know, have a recurring appearance in that fourth book that, that ties things together. And I think that uh, I've got a fifth fantasy novel that I have written the first few chapters in and have in mind of how to tie likely that same character into it as well. So that, you know, readers know for one, these are all set in the same world. They may not be set in the same series. You know what to expect. And you're going to see a familiar familiar face. It may not be a friendly face, but it's familiar. You know, and I think readers like that. Those are the little Easter eggs they find in a book. And I'm trying to do that now with my series. Um, two of my series and a new one that I'm collaborative series. I'm going to bring in some of my, at least one of my characters from my Rosemont series. So I can shove people back to Rosemont, hopefully. But I that was another genius idea. Well, um, you know, we just talked with Tammy Grace and you all have the Wishing Tree series yeah. that, you know, multiple authors have written in and having those places and characters appear in the different books, I thought is just super, so super smart. 
that has been such a nice little money maker. And we wrote them all as novellas. They're women's fiction. So you can get away with 30 to 35,000 words, which takes, you know, three weeks to write. So it's quick, although they take more time because then you have to read everybody else's books and put some of their characters in yours. Um, there's a lot of work that goes to a connected series, but the series itself is sold very well. And I think it's it's produced readers for me. So I've been grateful for that. Um, thinking about more craft stuff, I remember Karen Oden was talking to us about how she really fleshes out her secondary characters. So I've been using that and paying more attention to more fully established secondary characters. Um, I'm hoping I'm hitting that mark, but I'm, I'm trying. Yeah. That's something I really try to pay attention to as well, because I don't want those folks to be flat. You yeah. know, they need to have depth. They need to be, you know, just the same way you want setting to be places that people feel like are lived in and aren't just sets the secondary characters have to be the same way. I mean, they have to be people who have lives outside of the page um, or at least feel that way. And so, you know, dropping in little idiosyncrasies and not going into their full backstories unless it's necessary, but, you know, referencing things in their past that have made them who they are is, you know, I think is hugely important and, and helps the entire book feel alive in a way that, if they're just cardboard cutouts of people instead, it doesn't work. And it's it's more fun to write that. It's it's fun to write somebody, a secondary character who has their own little quirks and you know hopes and dreams and and write them as well. Yeah. And what I like what I like doing, because I like seeing it when I'm reading, is when a little anecdote gets dropped in a story or, you know, just an aside or a reference. And I'm not going to be able to think of an example of this, but it makes you think, oh, that definitely happened to somebody, um, you know, just some little weird quirk or something like, oh, that was pulled right out of a real life experience and dropped into this thing. Even if it doesn't take more than, you know, 30 seconds on the page, but it just feels real. You know, I, I would salute your watch party not, and I realize it may get published under a different name, but I think you're, you've done a marvelous job of that because you've got a group of work colleagues. You've got the HR person. You've got the person that's the HR nightmare and all that. And you can tell that you've worked in a large office at some point in time for corporate America because there's all that, those little quips and quick little character observations and thoughts that do just that and it makes it a much richer story even yeah. though the story has nothing to do with those kind of little inside baseball inside corporate america things um they just make they more richly draw the characters and you feel like you know them and then you can predict based upon people you work for uh work with how they're going to react it's yeah you've done a good job with that um, well, I appreciate that. And, you know, it's interesting because yeah. it was such a different experience writing that because in that book and you have these, these characters who are isolated just with themselves, but they've known each other for years, years, sometimes maybe even decades, you know, I don't get into all that, but, and so you have these 
pre-existing relationships before the story. Whereas in so much of what I, the other books I've written, it's a character getting dropped into an, a strange new world. And so all the people they knew, they are formulating new relationships with the events that occur. Um, whereas this, these people have known each other for years. And so all of that backstory exists and you have to set that up. And um, we've talked about a number of folks who go into a lot of, do a lot of character work before they start writing. And that is not something that I do. And so I'm learning who, particularly with Watch Party. Um, and so I'm learning who these characters are as I write that first draft. And then as I'm going back and editing, even during the writing process, I'm going in and adding, okay, I know who this person is now. So I can add things that, that tell the reader who they are. And, you know, that's kind of, for me, that's part of the magic of writing is that when I'm the reader, like you're like, how did they come up with all this? Well, mm -hmm. they didn't do it all in one pass. They did it in multiple passes and went back and added so many of those things after the fact and twists and turns and developments that, that didn't happen in the first draft because they don't have to happen in the first draft because mm -hmm. nobody else is going to see it. You know, I think that's a good point. I, I do have character worksheets and I've got some of them that I've used and I hate doing that. I hate spending the time that many writing coaches uh, want you to do, including my own. And I, I don't, um, these detailed examinations of who the characters are. I mean, I obviously when I start with a main character, I know what their lie they tell themselves is. And, you know, I, I've got that stuff down, but on the side characters, I don't. And I do think it's more interesting to write and you get to a point and you think, oh, this would be kind of an interesting wrinkle to give this person. And so you create them as you go. And then I do go back and at least in summary fashion, fill out a character worksheet so that I at least I know what color their hair is how tall and then some of their main because we write these books you'd think that we'd remember them uh not me I gotta have it written down or I won't remember whether anything about you yeah so in Scribner uh, where I do my drafting I have a notes page where I keep all of my notes about characters of you know just their disposition and I don't usually put very many physical attributes in there, unless it's just, it's, it stands out. Um, but like you said in our, in our last interview, uh, actually that we recorded yesterday, um, you are not one to put in eye color and hair color and, you know, all of that, neither am I. And so if I have a physical attribute attribute that I have specifically written about, I'll go in there because there was a reason for it. And I'll, I'll keep it in my notes page because otherwise I don't do it. And, you know, I think that for some people, the thing about writing advice is you have to take the advice that works for you. And if yes. you're a person for whom doing character work ahead of time and doing all that detailed work ahead of time helps your process and you write better because of it, go for it. But right. if that, if it doesn't find what works for you. And I think, you know, mm -hmm. you see writing books where people say this, this is the way to do it. Um, and it may be for that particular person and it have may have merit and it may be well-founded in solid principles. 
but if that doesn't work for you, then you're going to be to, to use a, you know, a, a trite expression, you're going to be trying to fit a round peg in a square hole in it, and it's going to be torturous and you might just be better off writing and then going in and filling those gaps later. I, some of my favorite episodes that we've had have been, you know, we've had people talking about pl- pantsing and plotting and all of that. But my favorite episodes are the ones where the people say just that, our guests say just that. Be who you are. Play to your strengths. It is not a one-size-fit-all career. And give yourself grace. Everybody cannot possibly do every single thing recommended. Uh, even if they're traditionally published and don't have to worry about any marketing and you know any of the business the more robust business um, considerations that those of us that are indie published have to do that whole business side. Even if you don't, there's far more than you could ever do. So pick and choose what works for you. Be confident in your choices. Evaluate them later if you need to make changes. But I love that. Give yourself some grace in this process. It's so important. Yeah. And I think to go along with that, What's really important, and this goes back to conversations we had with Valerie Francis and with Savannah Gilbo about writing theory, is you have to know the principles of story so that you can break the rules um, and so that you can, you know, the process, be true to your own process in telling your own story, um, but know what the theory is and understand, you know, storytelling so that you can do it. And, you know, when I used to be a high school teacher, I would have kids gripe at me about like, I'm never going to do X. So I don't need to know grammar rules. Like, well, maybe you are, maybe you're not, you don't know, but you need to know them. um, And in part because, and, you know, 15 year olds don't care about this. You're training your brain to think in a particular way. And you're you're making synapses, make connections that they won't otherwise, if you don't learn the processes behind these things, but story theory isn't really any different. I may not consciously uh, think about those things while I'm writing, but having that foundational knowledge allows my brain kind of, you know, in the background to be doing things and operating in such a way that I can tell a coherent, you know, compelling story. Hopefully. Absolutely. I think you do have to know those things. And it's almost like an operating system running in the background as you're writing. Got to have your operating system going. Um, I particularly liked the episode we we taped yesterday because she was talking about, you know, write your story. In the beginning, maybe you are, as an author, writing the backstory that you need for your characters. And it's not going to, it's in the first draft. It's not going to appear in the final draft. And it may get moved later. It may get tossed. But just because, you know, you need to start your book with a hook. You need to start with some action, the inciting, you know, the person's about to jump off the ledge, whatever. Um, and yes, people are going to want to know why. If you're a chronological thinker, you may write it that way. That's okay. It isn't a waste. I know all of us who are trying to produce, you're busy, you're still practicing law, I'm not. But nonetheless, you don't want to waste a bunch of time writing stuff you don't need. Well, it isn't wasted. You may use it later, but 
you also may just need it for yourself. Um, yeah. And that's kind of comfort. And I have only had so far um, one experience in my fourth novel uh, in the last, you know, I, I wrote it, did a couple of passes and I was getting it ready. And I realized that the third chapter didn't even need it. I didn't need it. I liked it. Mm -hmm. It was kind of fun, but it didn't serve any real purpose and nothing would be missed by not having it. And well, so it, it got dumped. Um, yeah. and, and it was okay, but mm -hmm. I, I used it as a reader magnet when I released the book and, you know, I said, <laughs> send it out to my newsletter. Hey, if, if you want this, I've got it. Let me know. And I had several people that said, Hey, I would love to, an extra chapter. Um, and so I had a use for it and it wasn't wasted, even if I hadn't used it in any way. It was part of mm -hmm. me learning to tell this story and it was necessary yeah. at the time of writing. And then later when thinking about the reader, who's going to be consuming the story, then I realized it isn't necessary for them. It was necessary for me in the writing of it. It's not necessary for them in the reading of it. And so it's going to go. That's, that's a wonderful win to take it and use it in your newsletter for your reader magnet. I think that's really brilliant to do that. And that's something I've found that I do a lot in my own personal career with my two books that turn, got turned into movies. I did all kinds of blog posts and all kinds of things about them, the research, whatever, whatever. And what a wonderful use of time. I have used those things over and over and over again. So, you know, when you, cut out stuff like that large swaths don't just chuck it in the trash um, put it aside keep it because there's very often uses for all of that and that's a, that's a smart thing to think about well let's before we wind down talk about um, what we're doing next uh, for me I am I'm trying to figure out which story I'm going to tell next. I have written um, three parts of three different novels, trying to figure out which one I'm going to write next. Um, and I think that in part, it's going to depend on what ultimately happens with watch party, whether it's picked up by somebody or whether I sell it because um, yeah. And we'll go from there. Um, but Work has been crazy busy, so writing has had to take a back seat to work lately um, and family and all of the other things, and that is okay. Um, but I, I do ultimately need to settle on what I'm going to write next and go from there. So what do you got going on? So what I'm, I'm going to next write the fifth book in the Emily series. My The movie based upon Guiding Emily came out on Hallmark Movies and Mysteries in September, the end of September, the Foundation for Blind Children, I donate half of my royalties from the book to the foundation, um, hosted an evening with me, which was so nice. It was sold out. Um, wow. Dinner, and then we were supposed to watch the movie, but we're not able to do that for contractual reasons. So I did this hour-long PowerPoint and talked about behind the scenes from the movie, which turned out to be even better. 
And I had, there were a lot of visually impaired people in the audience. I had people waiting in line for me for up to an hour after I was done speaking to talk to me, to tell me how much the book meant to them. And to tell me, I mean, it was such a moving experience. I was emotionally overdone by the time I was done. And so many people said, you know, this is my life experienced. I would love you to tell this story. The different challenges and the things that they've done and the ways they've overcome was so touching. So I came home, wrote it all down, made notes. And so I decided, well, I need to write this fifth Emily and I need to use some of these stories. I've still, I collected contact information from people so that I can contact them as I'm doing my research and writing. And I think I need to strike while that iron's hot. So um, I'm off next to my daughter's wedding. That'll give me a little bit of a break. I will undoubtedly come home with no spare cash to do anything. but sit in my <laughs> That's already happened. Actually, my bank account has been drained. And well, so I better good motivation, I guess, to get another book out there. I, I need to make some more money, so I'll be writing a book. So that's that's what I'm going to do, and I'm looking forward to it. And I'm so excited for your watch party. It is such a great book. Oh, Somebody's well, just got to make him the next James Patterson. Uh, I'm okay with that. I'm ready to sign up for that. Um, yeah. So those who are watching and listening, thank you so much for doing so. If you are watching on YouTube, if you'll hit that like button, subscribe. If you, I feel like all the YouTube kids, YouTube channels, my kids watch that in their videos with like, and subscribe. Uh, I very much felt like that just then. Um, and those, you know, listening on Apple podcast or wherever you might be listening, if you will leave a rating or review that all of those things are really helpful to the algorithms to help put the podcast in front of more people. Thank you. All right. We'll talk to you again soon. Okay.